good morning. Um, thank you to the worship team for that powerful worship set, uh, especially the keyboardist who decided to hijack it and go solo and show her skills. I appreciated that. But no, um, as we were singing those songs, I was struck with how we are called, how we get to give everything to our Savior, not out of duty or obligation, but in worship. And it's worship that inspires us into action. Um, and that sort of, sort of sets up the, the message where I want to go with today. Um, today I want to talk about orphan care. And I don't think I've ever, pre- I've, I've, I've had it in, in sermons where I've, where I've incorporated it. But this morning I want to speak directly a, a sermon on God's heart for the orphan and how every believer is called into orphan care ministry. Um, this past week I was, we're, we're getting close to opening up our thrift store in Worcester. It's been a long process, but this past week I was working with our uh, graphic designer on getting all the, the posts, like everything from the signage made to everything. And one of our key things at the store is we want to look at how can we convey a message that says we are part of the community in Worcester or Oroville. That's where the two stores are currently. Uh, how are we impacting that community? And then specifically as our calling of reaching out to ministries, working with at-risk kids. How can we communicate that to our customers and to the community uh, that we are passionate about coming into Worcester and partnering with ministries to help reach uh, at-risk children? So I was working with our graphic designer on how we build these posters, the signs and stuff. And if you've ever been in our Oroville one, um, there are 40-inch by 96-inch signs that we have around the top of or like close to the ceiling with uh, photos of kids and then quotes. And anything from Mother Teresa to uh, Wes Stafford and other people that, notables that have done tremendous work for orphans. But one of them, uh, as I was going through proofing and making sure that uh, he wrote everything in right, because if you know anything about graphic designers, they're good at design work but not good at grammar. Uh, I'm not good at grammar, but they miss a lot of words, and so I was proofing it, and there was one quote from D.L. Moody that this past week, that inspired me to want to uh, share this message, and that I haven't been able uh, to, sh- to shake or get rid of, and I've just been processing it the last week, week and a half, and it's a short quote, but D.L. Moody said that if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. Let me just read that again. If I could relive my life I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. And if you don't know who D.L. Moody is, D.L. Moody it said that he, has, he preached the plan of salvation to over 100 million people. Uh, and he started Moody Bible Institute, and that has been one of the great launching pads of ministry, uh, of missions work in the last 100 plus years. D.L. Moody's father passed away at four years old, and he was, his mom was left to raise nine kids uh, on her own. And D.L. Moody barely had an education. It was like third or fourth grade at best. Uh, and he rose through that 
and had this incredibly powerful ministry that reached hundreds of millions of people. And yet he's saying, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. And I think that gives us a, a really good basis of, I think Moody understood the teachings of, of Christ and, the, and, and, and where God's heart is, and that is at the basis of, of ministry work with children. And, and so my attempt will be to build a sermon where we can see that every one of us are called to orphan care work. And while it will look different for each one of us, that's probably one of the main things I want to bring out is we are not called to serve the orphan out of duty or obligation or guilt because God said so, but we are to do it in a way out of love and how he has called us to. Um, so if you have your... Bibles. We're going to go through three different scriptures. The first one is James 1.27. Uh, and I know a lot of you probably feel like you don't even have to open your Bible for that one. It's probably one of the main scriptures we have that we use for orphan care work. But it's simply, and I'm going to read it, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James here, the brother of Jesus could have said pure religion is any number of things. Um, but he chose to say pure religion is to care for the orphan, the widow, and to not have the values of the world. Um, and I'll let someone else, some other Sunday, preach on the widow. Today we're, I'm going to focus on the orphan and why James is saying pure religion is to care for the orphan. This is something that history says that the early church truly understood. Uh, the early church was just finding its footing. It was just getting established. It had a lot of pressures on it. A lot of, it wasn't a powerful movement. It wasn't well-established. It wasn't wealthy. But in a pagan Roman culture, a culture that had 12 main gods from Zeus, to God's like Apollo, God, God's like that, that, that showcased power, that showcased uh, er, everything was built around this idea of God's just used humans as pawns and humans really had no dignity or life. They were just at the will of, of the gods. Uh, and it was in this pagan culture uh, that the, the, the church found itself in, but even more so in this culture it was completely common and accepted to discard unwanted babies. Um, it was said that a parent could discard a baby for any number of reasons. If they had a baby and it had special needs, they would, dis they would throw it out on, oh, in the forest or in the, the rubbish, garbage heap, the dung heaps, um, and just outside the city gates and just let them die. Uh, it could be for any number of, from special needs to a deformity. And a deformity could literally just be, it was unwanted. Um, and so deformity and also another thing was um, if it was the wrong gender. If, if, if they wanted a boy and got a girl, they could get rid of it. And so this was a very common practice that the church found itself in or with the culture surrounding them. 
And, and, in that, and that's why I started my message with they weren't a well-established, they didn't have big churches, they didn't have a lot of resources, but the church here had a decision to make because it wasn't the people in the church, the Christians, that were doing this. They had a decision to make. They could look and they could see, they could see the needs. They could, they could choose to look or they could choose to look away. And it would be so easy for them to say, to look at their own needs, to look at their own struggles, and to say that what, what my culture around me is doing is wrong and sinful, but we're not doing it, and so we're okay. But history says that they, the early Christians chose to look, because uh, I think they really understood James 1.27. And Tertullian, a early church writer, Says, that, says this of the Christians of that time. Christians sought out the tiny babies of newborn... Sorry. Christians sought out the tiny bodies of newborn babies from the refuse and dung heaps and raised them as their own or tended to them before they died or, get, or gave them a decent burial at the least. So they had a choice to look. And to look means to engage. It means to sacrifice your own, like, what is your own life. It means to sacrifice the comforts of your own life when you choose to look uh, instead of just looking away and saying, but it's not me that's doing that. And that's, I think, that's the same question that God is asking us today. That's the same uh, decision that we have to make this morning. Uh, we're... Pro- People, we're not abandoning our children. We're not. We're being good parents. We're being. We have a good community, good culture, and we're taking care of our children. But we have a choice to make this morning as a church, as individuals. Will we choose to look at the 140 million orphans? Will we choose to look at the 15 million? Is that me? Sorry. Will we choose to look at the 15 million double orphans, the 400,000 in orphan care? Uh, And the list goes on. But we have a choice to make this morning. Do we choose to look or do we choose to look away? Because it's easy to look away. And we want want to look away because it takes less of us. Uh, And when we look, it costs us. There's something else that happens as I was reflecting on this of... Of, from the early church and what they launched from that to when I see people that fully immerse themselves in caring for the orphan. To, to, when, when someone chooses to look, something else happens. Um, and that's a movement starts. When, when someone sees a need and goes to that need and takes and begins to care, it makes it easy or it when I say it creates, I don't know, a pathway, a movement for other people to see, to see that person going to that need and join, and join, and join, and, and something happens. And a culture, and a community, and a culture begin to see who we are as believers, what we care about, what our values are. Um, and so when we choose to look, when we choose to look at a need, a, not only do we take care of that child or make a difference in the lives of a child, uh, or ministries affecting children, but we, we begin to shape a movement. And the, the exact opposite is true as well, as I was reflecting on this, is when we've been given an opportunity, 
to look, to engage, and we choose to look away, we actually, not only do we not do what God has called us to, but we become a stumbling block to the heart of God. We become a stumbling block to our families, to our church, to our community. It's like they have to go around us if they want to meet a need. And, and it's like they have to go around us and say, like, well, these people over here, like, they're good Christians, but they're not valuing this. And it creates a stumbling block for people to have to go around us. Uh, and so there's so many dynamics here in James 1.27 of what James understood of why this is pure religion, why the early church understood that pure religion is to care for the orphans, to look at the need and not look away when you can because it's not you that's committing that sin. And to, to care for the one shapes a movement that shows a culture who we are as followers of Christ. The other, uh, and I'm just going to move through different scriptures. That's, uh, I think it's easy. We've, we've grown accustomed to seeing, you can open your script, uh, move to Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 and 18, or I can just read it then. But it's easy to see, uh, this is sort of pushed at the end of where you know where James and Paul are writing, and it's an important part of ministry. Uh, and we put it sort of in the New Testament context, or even like after the Gospels, we move it to, it's important, but it's not at the core of the Gospel. But what I love, as you read through Deut- uh, a lot of Old Testament scripture, but we've gone, gotten so accustomed to seeing the Old Testament as this God that was harsh, that was, uh, the Old Testament's a lot more violent, and, and we've grown accustomed to sort of seeing the Old Testament in that light. Uh, but that's, this idea of caring for the orphan was woven throughout all of Scripture, including the Old Testament God. And so I wanted to read, uh, I'm going to just read verse 17 once of chapter 10. Uh, for the Lord, this is God describing himself here, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Look at how God is describing himself here in verse 17. Uh, he's saying that he, is, he accepts no bribes. He can't be bought. Uh, he's not partial. It doesn't matter are, if you're homeless, if you're an orphan, or if you're royalty, if you're, the, if, if you're a king, a president, our God can't be bought, and he's not partial. He's the, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's great, he's mighty, he's awesome. And, and our God, who yields all power, uh, in verse 18 then says, yeah, he executes justice for the fatherless, the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so the, this, in the Old Testament here, God is saying he can't be bought, he can't be, he's not partial, and he yields all power, and he's going to use it to execute justice for the fatherless. And yesterday I went out on a, on a run, and as I was sort of trying to reflect over my sermon here, and reflecting all the teachings that we're getting in the area. This is another subject, so I'm not going to drift into this, but on serving leadership. And you get all these great 
teachings on and like how do you how do you execute like how do you actually take these teachings and on serving leadership and execute them or in this case on with this specific verse of of who we're called to be and actually execute and step in and care um, and the reason I use serving leadership is I think if you look at a church a community a body of believers um, this verse is a great, these two verses are a great example. I think you could really teach a whole on serving leadership or caring for the orphans here. And it's simply, how do you execute? It's look for a church, a body of believers that is built to serve those that are the least in their community, in their body of believers, in their, in their world. And that, doesn't, and that doesn't mean you invest the most time, but that means that you build a culture, a church that says the people we value the most are those that are the least. And from that, because that's exactly what God is saying here. That, that's in verse 17, he's saying he's all-powerful. And then he's going to wield that for, for the fatherless and the immigrant and the refugee. He's going to yield his power, not for those that have, but for those that have nothing. And so that, that's what the Old Testament God, the New Testament God is calling us to, is he's saying, you have so much. I've given you so much. I've allowed you to have so much. Now wield that power in your church, in your family, in your community, in your country, wherever, for those that have the least. Because that's who our, that's who our God is. And then the last scripture I'm going to look at uh, is Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. And I will just read those. And I'll let, at some point, I'll let Marcus preach a real sermon on this. I'm just going to sort of pull it out and look at it practically. Uh, so, for all those, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God's, Sorry, sons of God, not gods. We're not pagan. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And this is both adoption, but it's also a spiritual reality of each one of us that I think is really easy for us to not recognize in ourselves, but is the, the brokenness, the, the, the lostness that we had spiritually, even when we come from a, a family, an intact family, Spiritually, we are an orphan. We're se- we were separated from our Father. And through the love of our, our God and our Savior, we were able to be, pull- to be fully adopted into the family of God. And so each one of us sh- should share 
should recognize, when we, when we look at the orphan, the at-risk child, we should see in that person ourselves because that's who we were, maybe not physically, but spiritually. Um, and, and God here gives a perfect example of why he cares so desperately about the or deeply about the orphan and about us, is the gospel story is simply to redeem, restore, to take brokenness, to take lostness, to take a separation from a father and, bring, and make it whole and bring it back together and restore what was broken, um, to give us a place to belong and to give us a place to always be able to call home. Uh, and, and that's, that's God's longing for every child, for every human, uh, whether spiritually and both physically. It's, I think it's really the same. So the gospel story is simply to take that brokenness, restore it, and give us a place to belong, to call home. And he's asking us to do that uh, for the child out there that doesn't have that. But if we look at this story, there's something else that was happening that I wanted to touch on. In order for us to be called sons and daughters of God, to be joint heirs with Christ, brothers and sisters with Christ, it costs someone something. Our Savior, as he was up in, in heaven with, with God, in perfect unity, had to count the cost and he had to ask a question. Is it worth it? Because fundamentally, Jesus had perfect communion with God already and he had to count the cost over 2,000 years ago and ask, is it worth it? Is it worth going down into that brokenness, into that mess? Is it worth it to go down there and to be made a mockery, to be, to be powerless, to, to feel what it feels like to, to not have perfect communion with God. And he had to ask, is it, is it worth it? He had to count that cost. And obviously we know that if he, wouldn't, if he would have counted the cost and determined what he has works for him and is good enough, we could not have what Romans here is describing, that, perfect, that relationship of being restored and having a place to call home and to belong and to be a son or a daughter with the Father. And... So this morning, that cost Jesus something. And in the same way, what, what we're talking about of, of caring physically for the orphan, like I said, we've been given a lot. We have, we have good families. We have, it, it's working for us. We have, you know, like, yeah, we have stress. We have struggles. But we're not alone. We have, we have each other. We have our families. And God's asking us, to count the cost and to ask ourselves, is it worth it? And we have to ask, like, what do we value? Where are our values? Um, and, and that's where that D.L. Moody quote was, was really, just this last week, really causing me to just yeah, ref, reflect, spend some time on that. When I get to the end of my life, am I going to be able to look back and say, I counted the cost and... Yeah, I was, I was not a hero. I was not a rescuer. That's, that's God's work. But I decided to, we decided to step in as a family, as a church, as a, as a group, and say, we're going to count the cost. We're going to ask, is it worth it? Because it will be difficult in, in trauma and in brokenness 
There's always hardship. And there's always messiness. And that's why we do have to ask ourselves the hard questions of, of who we are. Is it worth it? And count the cost, just like our Savior did. Uh, and hopefully, through our love for our Savior, we'll be able to answer yes. Because when Jesus was up in heaven counting the cost and asking himself, is it worth it? If he, would have, if he would have seen it out of duty or obligation, I don't think he would have went. But there had to be something much bigger, much more powerful than that, and that was love. And it was love that motivated, love for us that motivated Jesus to say it's worth it. And if, if this morning, if you see this scripture, uh, these scriptures of God saying we're called to care for the orphan and you begin to think well like you you get you're moved by duty obligation or guilt that's not that won't work that's not enough it has to be moved out of love it has to be done out of love and so in conclusion there's no uh, question as we look at scripture that we're called to engage that we're called to care for the orphan, to defend the fatherless. Um, and like I briefly touched on a little earlier, but it's not going to look the same for everyone. Some will be called to adoption. Some will be called to foster care work. Some will be called to full-time ministry, uh, what Linda's doing in Kenya. Some will be called to take the skills and the talents that God has given and leverage everything that they have in business, in a platform, whether it's a pastor. There, there's so many different ways that God is going to call each one of us to in engaging in this work and showing a culture who we are, what we stand for, and why we believe pure religion is to defend the fatherless. Uh, but it, and so there's not one real, one good way. So I don't want that to come out of this message. But I do want you to say, like, if you are being called to something, don't look away. Look into it. Uh, look at it. And, and, and let God change your heart. Don't let what someone up here is saying or duty, obligation, let love change your heart. And that's, I'm going to wrap it up with, it has to start with prayer. And we had a great discussion in Sunday school on prayer, and I thought they were going to take everything that I had written down here and just make it look like I'm copying them now. But... Uh, I think we often see prayer as simply intercessory prayer, prayer to, um, as a method to move God into action, uh, a way for him to perform miracles. And there's certainly truth and, and, and purpose in prayer like that. Um, or we look at prayer as a way to move God to where the need is. But the truth, we've looked at Scripture, God's heart is already there. He's, he's already caring for that, that child that's abandoned on the garbage heap. He's there. And so I think, as I reflect on that, maybe the primary purpose of prayer here is to allow God to move our hearts closer to his. Um, to allow God to take what we value, because we're selfish. We fundamentally want comfort. We want what's safe, what we know. Uh, what makes sense, what works for us, but to take those values and to move it to, to where his heart is. And that's 
to the child that doesn't have a home, that, a child that is messy and broken and has trauma, and to care for that child. And, and so I think as we reflect on this, it has to start with prayer. Because if, if we're motivated out of anything but love or God moving us into that, we won't have enough to sustain the hardship. And so, yeah, it, it can't be out of obligation or guilt, but a burning love that God has placed in us. History, in conclusion, history tells us the story of Christians who valued life who valued that one child on the trash heap. And through that, they changed a culture. And hopefully, when we, 50 years from now, as we look back, the same can be said of us. We're not perfect. We'll always mess up. We'll have struggles and frustrations and probably be angry when we step in at some of the hardships we'll have to face. But hopefully, they can look back. Hopefully, we'll be able to look back and say, uh, we stepped in, we, we looked, and we didn't look away. And we were able to, through the strength of God, because of God, because of Christ, change a culture. Let's stand for a word of prayer, and the worship team can make its way up. Then. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for uh, Scripture and how, how we can see throughout all of Scripture the passion, the love that you have for the fatherless. God, we want to pray this morning uh, for the calling that you've placed on each one of us that you would begin to move in our hearts and that you would put that burden uh, on us, that we would choose to look at the need and not look away. In Jesus' name, amen.